If you could open your Bible to John chapter 5. My message this morning is entitled, A Heavy Burden. A Heavy Burden. So if you could turn to John chapter 5, we're going to be reading through verses 31 through 40. And if you could please stand with me as we read our text. I'll give you a moment to to do that. Now, I'm not going to ask you to, like, do the, the repeat, the, the thought you read after me, because I, I've never done that, and I'm going to mess it up. So, I'm just going to invite you to listen to me as I read our text. Um, as you're turning to John chapter 5, I will um, read another verse, Psalm 38.4. It says, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. They are too heavy for me. And in John chapter 5, verses 31 to 40, Picking up right, by the way, right where Pastor Martel left off last week. If I alone bear witness, it says in verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness, excuse me, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. I say these things, that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Verse 36, But the testimony I have is greater than John, for the works which the Father has given to me to complete, the works which I do, I test- they testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor have you seen his form. And you do not have his word living in you, because you all do not believe in him whom he sent. You examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are not willing to come to me so that you might have life. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this morning that if we are willing to come to you, we will have life. And you will give life to anybody who turns to you in repentant faith. God, I thank you, Lord, that this morning, when you open our eyes to the gospel, when you sovereignly breathe into us life, we behold the faith of God. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Come to Jesus. If you come to Jesus, He will exchange your burden with life. Do you believe that? If you come to Jesus, He will exchange your burden with life. There's a story in a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. You guys ever heard of The Pilgrim's Progress? It's written by a guy named John Bunyan. Pilgrim's Progress opens his story with a, about, it's about a man who has this dream. And in this dream, he sees this character named Christian. And right at the beginning, Christian, it says, is, has his back away from home. He's clothed in rags. There's a book in his hand, and he has a heavy burden on his back. He's clothed in rags. His, his back is away from home. There's a book in his hand, and he has a heavy burden on his back. He's continually crying out, what can I do to be delivered from this burden? What can I do to be saved from this burden? You know, some of you this morning are carrying a burden, a load, and you don't know how to get out of it. And you know what it's like to ask a question like that. So he begins this journey, young Christian begins this journey, and he meets a man named Evangelist. Obviously, as you might be able to tell by now, um, the names of the characters are really not names. They're more descriptions of who these people are. So um, he meets this character called Evangelist, and Evangelist tells him, I know how you can get rid of that burden. You go down to the wicked gate. That was, that's with a T, not a, not a CK, or an ED, rather. You go down to the wicked gate, and you'll be delivered from this burden. I promise you you'll be delivered from this burden. And Christian actually, he points in a far-off distance, and Christian says, I can't see it. Well, and the evangelist says, well, you see that little light? He's like, yeah, no, I see the light. He's like, head towards that light. That's where the gate is. So Christian begins his journey with this load that's on his back. 
He begins this journey with this load that's on his back. And of course, on his way, he's met with opposition. People who are trying to get him from going to the wicked gate, to this light. And he meets up with a character named Worldly Wise Man. Worldly Wise Man says to him, where are you going? What is this load on your back? And he says, this load is my own sin and death. And he says, well, how did you find out about this? And he says, the book that I'm reading, that's the book that is in his hand, of course, the Bible. The book that I'm reading made me realize that I'm carrying the load, and that load is my own sin. And he says, well, where are you going? And he says, I'm headed to the wicked gate to be relieved of this. And the worldly wise man tries to prevent him, and he says that this way is the beginning of sorrows. And that if you take this way, you are like to meet with wearisomeness, painfulness, hunger, perils, nakedness, swords, lions, dragons, darkness, and in a word, death. If you take that way to be rid of that burden, it will mean your own death. Suffering. Don't go that way. There's easier ways to be rid of that burden. Christian replies to him. He says, Sir, and this is what floored me when I read this. I have to kind of stop and put my book down. He says, Sir, this burden upon my back is more terrible to me than all these things which you have mentioned. I care not what I meet with in the way if I am delivered from this burden. He's saying that this burden is so terrible And it weighs me down so much that I don't mind if I have to go through suffering in life. I don't mind what it costs. Because this burden is my own death and my own sin. And if it's removed, it's worth the price of all that stuff that you described. I want you to look inward, church. Without Christ, without Christ, all of us are forced to carry an unbearable burden to the day that we die, and that burden is our own sin. All of our burdens, without fail, are present because of sin, either ours or someone else's, by the way. David said, Psalm 38, 4, My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. I want to talk this morning with you, church, about the burdens that we carry. The burdens that we carry. I want to look at our text. We're going to do a little bit of review to go over some of what Pastor Markel has been going over so we can get the context of our passage. I want to define to you more clearly what I mean when I say a burden. Um, And also I want to show you the difference between man's solution of being rid of this burden and God's solution in Christ to have our burdens lifted. So let's look at some background. In chapter 5, we learn Pastor Markel has preached to us about a, um, a man that Christ healed by the pool of Bethesda. Do you remember this? So, so Christ heals this man who is an invalid, probably paralyzed, by the pool of Bethesda. And the, re- the religious Jews didn't like this very much. And you guys remember why? Yeah, that's right. It was the Sabbath day. And, and Jesus told this man, after he healed him, to pick up his pallet and go home. You're healed. And the Jews were enraged because this was the Sabbath day, and he didn't do things like this about on the Sabbath day. Although this did irritate the, Jew, the, the Jewish leaders at the time, this isn't what really enraged them. What really ruffled their feathers was with the justification that Jesus used to, to justify his action of healing on the Sabbath day. Let me explain to you what I mean. Jesus said this as a justification of why he did what he did. He said, my father is working until now, and I am working, in verse 17. He says, you accuse me of healing on the Sabbath day, but my father works until now, and so am I working until now. And by saying this, he made himself equal with God. We're going to explain this in a moment. So the Jews sought to kill him. Now remember all of Jesus' discourses throughout the Gospel of John, okay? And some of them we haven't even gotten to yet. But in chapter 3, we learned that Jesus provides the new birth. Right? For God so loved the world. He's talking to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. So basically, Jesus is telling, telling Nicodemus that in Christ you have life. Right? He also says in chapter 4 that he is the life-giving water and that if you drink of him, you will never thirst again. 
You will never thirst again. He's talking to the Samaritan woman by the well. Now, these things we've gone over already. Some things we haven't really gotten into yet is here in chapter 5, Jesus Christ is the divine son. In chapter 6, we'll learn that he calls himself the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says that he is the light of the world. And in chapter 10, he says that he's the good shepherd. I want to tell you something tonight. All of these discourses center around the person of Jesus Christ. They are Christocentric. And that means that life is found in him only. So all of these discourses are to describe to the listeners that in Christ we find life. We find our burdens lifted in Him. And I want to say to you this morning that this statement, my Father is working until now and I am working, if that were not true, then all of Jesus' claims to be the provider of life would be false. And you say, well, why is that? That's kind of like an important statement then, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of commentators actually believe that it was that statement that catapulted Jesus to Golgotha. It, this was the beginning of when they really started to um, put up the heat on Jesus and desire to crucify him. Now, what's the big deal? My father is working, so am I. What's the big deal about this statement? This statement describes the unceasing activity of the Father. Let me explain to you what I mean. Okay? If the Father in heaven stopped working, we are no more. If God, even for a moment, lost track of his own mind, which he can't, by the way, but I'm just saying hypothetically, if God forgot to sustain us, even for a moment, we would cease to exist. Everything would evaporate around us and we would be gone. God has to work for us to even be here because he sustains us. It says in the book of Acts that in him we live and we move and we breathe. So God in his providence sustains every single one of us by working constantly to sustain us. Does that make sense? So without this sustaining activity of God the Father in heaven, we have no life. We have no motion. So Jesus says, my Father is continually working. And so am I. He's saying there that Jesus Christ also, if he stopped working, we would cease to exist. He was claiming equality with God the Father in heaven and saying that, listen, folks, if I don't work, the lips that you criticize me with will fall off your face. There will be no one, maybe I should stop working. <laughs> so I don't have these critics all around me, right? He says, the, the work that I do, and think about this in, in the broader context of the gospel. If this is true, if Jesus Christ sustains all life, that means that when he was hanging on the cross, he held the nails together to keep him on it. Who killed Jesus? The fierce and terrible wrath of God killed Jesus, and by his own approval. So Jesus Christ is working until now, just as the Father is working. This is what really tore into the, the Jewish leaders at the time, because they were saying, this guy is making himself out. People broke the Sabbath. That's not why they crucified him. They didn't, they didn't crucify Jesus because he turned water into wine. Come on. They crucified Jesus because who he claimed to be. The problem that you had with Jesus wasn't so much what he did, but what he said about himself. Okay? There would have been no crucifixion. You want, you want to know the easiest way that Jesus could have prevented himself from being crucified? It would have been very simple. He would have just gotten up in front of the crowd the day, the day before that he was sentenced to death and said these simple words. I am not God. All right. See you later, Jesus. We won't crucify you. Stop, you know, stop causing a rocket. Right? That's what sent him to the cross. Okay? The real problem the Jews had with Jesus was, was with what, who he claimed to be, his identity. This is what Jesus claimed about himself. He called God my Father. And that's important. Most Jews called God our Father. Because in their mind, collectively, they were the adopted children of God. They weren't by nature the children of God. Okay, you understand the difference? We have to be. The Bible even calls the church the adopted sons of God. That has to be the case because we're not divine. Right? We're people. We have to be adopted into the family of God. It's kind of like when we, we almost like adopt a dog into our family. You know, they're not our actual 
you know, like, you know, they're not our actual family, but we just love the little guy. You know, so he becomes part of our family. And obviously, it's much not like that at all. But um, I want you to... <laughs> I want you to understand, though, that we don't possess divine nature. So when we address God, He's our Father. We are His adopted sons. So when Jesus said, my Father, the Jews knew exactly what He was getting at here. He was saying that He is my Father by nature, not by adoption. Okay? So Jesus called Himself my Father, called God my Father, claiming the divine nature in verse 17. He also said that he, um, he also claimed equality with the Father in verse 18 and 518. The Son does what the Father does in 519. All the Father does, He does. That is, if God creates, He creates. All of this is describing the unity, the equality that exists in the Trinity. Alright? There is no difference. There is a difference in personality, but there, but they are all God. You follow me? This is what Jesus was getting at. The Father has given all judgment to the Son. In 5.22 and 5.21, they both raise dead and give life to whom they will. In 5.23, they are given equal honor. And in 5.26, they have life in themselves. Now, this is, I've got to stop here because this is cool. Jesus said, I have life, my Father has life in himself. I have life in myself. Okay. In, in philosophy and in theology, there's this word called aseity. I'm going to get a, probably a little bit confusing. Hopefully, this is the most confusing I get for the night. So, just bear with me for a moment. Um, in philosophy and theology, there's this word called aseity, okay? That is that God possesses life by nature. It's innate, okay? He is life. It's kind of the easiest way that I can describe it. Now, also, there are these ideas in philosophy called contingent truth and, and um, necessary truth. You say, oh, here we go. What's going on? Just hold on a second. Necessary truth are, are things that have to be true. Contingent truth are things that don't have to be true. Let me give you an example, okay? Two plus two has to equal four, right? I'm not a math whiz. Um, I didn't do too well in math, but I'm pretty sure 2 plus 2 has to equal 4 every single time that you do the equation. That's a necessary truth. There are nine planets in the solar system. That's a contingent truth. If, if Mars explodes, then there are eight planets in the solar system. You follow me? So necessary truths are things that kind of like, that, that they have to exist. Contingent truths depend on something else. You follow me? My life is contingent because I don't have to be here. I could die. And I depend on something else to give me life. My mom is sitting right there. She gave me life 29 years ago. Okay? I'm dependent. My life is contingent on something else to give it to me. You follow me? So that actually is a proof, by the way, that God exists. And you say, well, how is that so? It points to the fact that there must be something with life innately. That something must have life, because all of us have life, and that life is contingent, so it must have come from a source of life that exists necessarily. You follow me? So it has life in himself. It's not given to him. He is life. He is the great is, if that makes sense. I know this, this is kind of hard. When you start waxing philosophical, it's hard to you know, wrap your mind around these concepts sometimes. But understand that when Jesus said this, he was saying that I possess. Isness. I am life. No one has given me life. That's not a word, I don't think. But um, you get it. If you get it, then that's that's what I'm aiming for. I possess life in myself. I'm the necessary being that had to exist in order for all of you to be able to have life as well. In me is life, and in my Father's life. Now these are some pretty lofty claims, right? Jesus has got a pretty, you know, if he if he's just a human being, he's got a pretty big mouth. How many people, if I, you know, Doug, if I went up to you and I said, hey, give me equal honor to God the Father in heaven. You probably, you are nuts. You know, what are you smoking, man? You know, like, he wouldn't do that. He'd think I'm crazy or I'm kidding around. You know what I mean? Or just an awful person that's trying to manipulate him or something. But Jesus Christ claims these things over and over again about himself. And he says this, by the way, if you reject what I say, you're going to be judged. And you will have no life but only death. That's why Jesus, listen, the Jews didn't like Jesus because of this. Not because he broke the Sabbath. Not because he turned water into wine. Not because he gave sight to a blind man. But because of who he claimed to be. And don't get me wrong, of course, they didn't like the fact that he broke the Sabbath. It was against the law. But what really 
irritated them and what really motivated their murder of Christ was these claims. <clears throat> now, you might be sitting there today, and this is about burdens. I'm talking about burdens. just forgot. Carrying a burden. What does all this have to do with the burdens that we carry? And before I get into that, I want to first identify what I mean when I say a burden. A burden is that which is born with difficulty. Something that is born with trouble, affliction, or sorrow. Okay? My guess is that when we all think of this word, we think of tragedy that occurs in our life. Maybe a divorce that we went through. Maybe a really big mistake that we made in our past that we kind of carry, the, the, the uh, consequences we carry with us after the, after the mistake. You know, we think of tragedy, we think of loss, all these different things that occur, the situations that surround our lives. And we think of these things as burdens. And burdens, they are. They certainly are burdens and hard ones. But they all have something in common that you have to get and you must never forget. They are all the result of a separation from God that is death and sin. The reason we carry burdens with us is because of sin. Because we lost something in the Garden of Eden. We lost our identity. Our fullness, our completeness was completely wrapped up in our relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't about anything else but that. So when we talk about burdens, we talk about things that we're replacing God with. We talk about things that oftentimes when they cripple us and we can't even live our lives, we're, we're talking about things that have taken the place of God. We lost that relationship in Eden, and ever since then, we've thought, we've been deceived to think that the purpose of our lives, the way that I think that I've made it in life, is by getting married or having kids or whatever, getting a job or being powerful, becoming a politician. You fill in the blank. But let me ask you something. When you lose those things, what happens? You are lost. And your identity is gone. And you wonder, why am I even here? How can I live without my wife, without my husband? Now, I'm not claiming this morning, by the way, that those things don't hurt and that they shouldn't hurt. Of course they should. But I'm talking about deriving an identity from those things instead of Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I say a burden. I want you to also keep in mind the context. Remember that, that this man was found to be in paralysis, okay? The, the, the invalid man by the pool of Bethesda was found to be in paralysis um, for, guess how long? 38 years. Augustine pointed out that 38 years is actually the amount of years that the Jewish people wandered in the wilderness. And he drew a parallel, and I think it's a pretty good one, um, and an appropriate one. He said for 38 years, the Jews wandered around in the wilderness and he saw this as a symbol of the religious Jews, and by the way, of all of us at the time, lost and slaves to sin and carrying our own death. But in Christ, Christ, the presence of Christ at this time would, be, would mean their life and their burdens lifted. You see, so <clears throat> his paralysis is a symbol of a period of spiritual impotency that will, would be cured by faith alone in the present Messiah. So this guy that's found as an invalid has this burden that Jesus, I think, is comparing to the burden that we all have, that the Jews had, that the, that the Jews had for 38 years when they wandered around in the wilderness. They were lost and Christless in their sin. But Jesus had come to be the restoration of life. I'll tell you something. This morning you might be carrying a burden, but in Christ you'll find life. In Christ you'll find life. We further see in our text, in verse 21, he raises the dead and gives life to whom he will, implying that all are dead. He says, truly, truly, I say to, to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. I'm trying to establish the point this morning that the burdens that we carry are our own sin and death. They're our own sin and death. And without Christ, we are burdened by them inevitably until the day of our death unless we turn to Christ in repentant faith. And if we do that, He'll give us life. He is identified as the giver of life. 
And in him only is the burden of sin and death lifted. So it's vital that Jesus is who he says he was. That he is the one that continually works along with the Father. Because if he's not, if life is not in him innately, then we have no hope. Then the burdens that we carry continue with us. Jesus is a liar. But if he's, but if he is the life, if he is the one that works continually with God the Father, then in him we have found life. So come to Jesus and he will exchange your burden with life. Four things, by the way, bear witness that Jesus provided, that God provided, to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is indeed the provider of life, the lifter of our burdens, the carrier of our sorrows. There are four things. By the way, this is, this is important to remember. The Christian life, the Christian faith, isn't an ignorant one. Much to popular belief. We don't leave our brains in the parking lot when we walk in the door. The Bible says um, that that faith is the evidence of things unseen. We have the right as Christians to ask this important question. Why? You know, a lot of people think, you know, like we, we just get some like precepts and theological platitudes and all these different things and we just have to accept them. Okay, I believe that. La, 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 la. Right? But that's not the case. The Bible says that you are to search the scriptures, that the Bible even provides a testimony of the validity of the claims that Christianity makes. You see, the heavens, it's always beyond my capacity to understand this, okay? You guys get coffee? Yeah. All right, me too. I love coffee. I didn't have any this morning. Um, I'm still waking up right now because I didn't have any coffee this morning. I go to, call, I go to get coffee, Dunkin' Donuts, Tim Hortons, wherever you go to get coffee, Starbucks. <clears throat> and something that I observe about different places that I go to get my cup of joe is that they all have these different lids, Okay? Um, some lids are terrible. They fall apart. They fall right out. Like the McDonald's. I shouldn't say that, you know. McDonald's is going to sue us. Um, some, some, some lids are better than others, right? So, you know, some, Dunkin' Donuts is that one that's like kind of like steep high so it doesn't dribble on your chin. And, you know, something that I noticed about all these lids is that they have a designer, right? Something as simple as a coffee lid, I can conclude in my mind that this little stupid simple coffee lid was probably designed by some engineer somewhere. And thank God for the one who designed it right so it doesn't get all over my shirt. <laughs> I like that guy. I think there's, I was at, a, at one that didn't design it too well, but that's why God invented ties. <clears throat> So I can look at a coffee lid, and I can say, wow, someone was really thinking when they invented this coffee lid. But I can't look at an eyeball and say the same thing. I can't go to the Niagara Falls and look at the majesty of the Niagara Falls. I can't look at the stars. That Mandy and I, when, when we were on our vacation, uh, honeymoon in Hawaii, we got, we got to go star washing. And this is the most brilliant place to see stars, I think, anywhere on the planet. You are high in the air. There are no street lights. And we have these huge, um, what are they called, telescopes? Yeah, there we go. We have these huge telescopes. I'm a theologian, not an astronaut, whatever. An astronaut. Um, I see these stars in the heavens, and when I think about how far away the closest one is to us, and I can say, wow, isn't it amazing how that just happened? But this coffee would have had a designer. The Bible says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is foolish to say that there is no God, that, there, that no God exists. And, and scriptures point to the fact that there is even more evidence to show us that Jesus Christ is the pop, proper representation of that God. So I don't leave my brain at the front door, I'm sorry. Much to popular belief. That's not true of me. Okay? And I hope that you don't either. I hope that you, you realize as a church that it's okay to ask the question why and look for answers and get answers to your questions. Um, and why, why am I talking about oh, that? I'm talking about that because of this. There is a witness that Christ is the giver of life. You know, sometimes you chase a rabbit and you, you got lost. And you don't know how to get back, but we're back. All right. Jesus Christ is a witness. All, excuse me, all these four things are a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the giver of life. 
John the Baptist, in verse 33 through 35, was an evidence to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus' works, his miracles, the things that he did, were an evidence to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. The Father was a witness to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. The Scriptures witnessed to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. All of these four things together show us that Christ actually is the giver of life. He is who he says he was, and when you come to him with your burdens, he has the power innately to carry them and bear them for you. He's given us these witnesses. You can choose today to escape the burden that you carry in this God-shaped void you can try to fill with something else besides Christ. You can do that. You know, this burden that we lift, the burden of death, the burden of sin, the burden of past mistakes and failures, the burden, you name it. You can choose today to try to make it better through some other means besides Christ. You know what? A lot of people have tried. All of them have failed. Fallen man recognizes, by the way, that something's missing. Did you know that? It says that even in our text here in verse 39, it says, you examine the scriptures because you think in them you have life. What does that imply about these people? They didn't have it, and they wanted it, and they knew it. So they began to search the scriptures. We're going to talk about this in a moment. Man's solution to filling, to filling this void, being rid of this burden, always, always excludes Christ. And I want to talk about man's solution to, having, to lifting this burden of sin. It always ex- excludes Christ. And man's solution, it always takes Christ out of the witness that God provides. There are four witnesses and testimonies here to the fact that Christ is life. And what we're going to see in a moment is that every single one of these witnesses were accepted by the Jewish leaders, but they, all of them all, stripped Christ out of every single witness. And we're going to see that in a moment. John the Baptist in verses 33 through 35. It says, John the Baptist bore witness to the truth. And he was a burning and shining lamp. And people rejoiced in him for a while. They rejoiced in John for a while in his life. Until he started saying, Christ must increase and I must decrease. Until they realized, and until John started pointing them to the fact that Christ alone is the giver of life. You see, we like religious solutions, don't we? To our burdens, to our problems. As long as it doesn't include the cross of Christ. Because that gives Him glory and not me. You see, let's continue. Jesus' works. People like Jesus' works, didn't they? They loved His miracles. Herod even called for Him shortly before Jesus was crucified. He said He wanted to see a trick. People loved the fact that Jesus could turn water into wine and raise the dead and give sight to the blind. But the moment he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they all left. Because the costliness of salvation, it requires that we believe in him and his ability completely to save us and not my own. You see, we want credit at the end of our lives to say, you know what, I have this burden and, you know, I followed some rules and I went to this class and I went to a, a psychologist and I did all these different things. And you know what, my life is great. Look at how awesome I, I picked my life up by my bootstrap, and here I am. What does that do? It gives us the glory. So that when we say, no, listen, your burden will increase, and you will die with your burden unless you turn to Christ exclusively for life. You say, well, I don't get any glory in that. So we reject that. We don't want that. That's why we strip Christ out of, um, out of the equation. So they liked, his, they liked his work, but they didn't like the life that he required. The Father. They, they like the Father, by the way. People like God. People believe in God. Everybody, most people believe in God. That's cool, but not with Christ. The second you put Christ into the equation with the God picture, people don't want it anymore. Isn't that interesting? Anyone that you can go to on the face of this earth, you can believe in God and it's okay. But if you believe that Christ is the only giver of life and the only proper representation of God, uh-uh. Okay. I don't like that. That's too exclusive. That doesn't glorify my own ability to clean up my own life. The Christian life is complete dependence on Christ for life. You cannot do it. And when you try to do it, it makes the burden heavier, doesn't it? 
You say, like, you know, I'm having these problems in my life. I'm, I'm burdened with this thing in my past. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drink. That'll make me feel better. It'll make the burden feel a little bit lighter. I'm going to start having sex. I'm going to start doing drugs. You know, you fill in the blank. And you know what happens? We pile on the rocks. That which we use to, and, and think that will relieve us from the burdens that we carry of insecurity. Maybe we feel like a failure. I don't know. You fill in the blank. We start using, oh, maybe we get jobs and we start making money. You know, it doesn't have to be like some thing that we have a negative stigma on. We start getting powerful, making lots of money. And we think, hey, you know what, this is going to make me matter. This is going to take away this burden that I carry. And we start to realize that it makes it worse. And the burden is compiled. It's only in Christ do we find our burdens lifted. So they liked God the Father. They said this in verse 37, The Father who sent me, he has testified about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor have you seen his form. And you do not have his word living in you, because you do not believe him who sent me. Now, later on, we, we, learn, we learn in John chapter 8 that they called God their father. The Jews called God their father. In verse um, 41, John chapter 8, verse 41, it says, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They boasted in the fact that they did believe in God, but they still didn't have life because they didn't have Christ. And Jesus says, you know what? In contradistinction to you saying that your, your father is God, actually, in John 8, 44, your father is the devil. Because when you reject me, you reject the Father. You think you have the Father, but you don't because you've rejected me. And the Father testifies that I am from Him. Okay? And we're going to see a bit of irony in a moment. The Scriptures testify that Christ is the giver of life. In 39-47, you examine the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are not coming to me so that you may have life. These people carried the burden of death and they sought relief. They sought life in scriptures but remained in their death. Now, can't you see the irony in that? Because scripture gives life, doesn't it? It's supposed to. That's why we're here. That's why we study scripture. But it doesn't give life void of Christ. You want to know why? Because when you take Christ out of the equation, you take grace out of the equation. And when you take grace out of the equation, you only see Scripture as a means to impress God. Give me some rules. Open up to the book of Leviticus. I'll start obeying them, and then God will owe me big time. So we use morality in a way to manipulate God to earn life. You God, you owe me. I've done all this for you. I've been good. I don't know how many people have seen the movie Amadeus. Um, it's, about, it's about the life of Mozart. And one of the characters, I forgot his name, is like the, he follows all the rules. He's, he's doing everything he can to be the best composer that he can be. And then he meets Amadeus, and Amadeus is a knucklehead. Amadeus is a... No, excuse me. He meets Mozart. Mozart is a knucklehead. Mozart is a party animal. Mozart doesn't even, it doesn't even seem like he practices... But when Mozart plays the piano, it's like God breathes divine inspiration into his fingers. And this guy who all his life, he's got like these two, this party animal and this law follower, these both growing up in the same time, one excellent at the piano, the other very good but not as inspired as Mozart. And all his life, he, when he meets Mozart, there's a scene in the movie where he basically says, you know what? Me and you, God, we're enemies now. Because I have worked, and I have obeyed, and I have done everything that I was, thought I was supposed to do, and you give this rascal the ability to play the piano far better than I'll ever play. Me and you, God, we're enemies now. And that's how we treat Scripture sometimes. We walk up to the Bible, and we think that in them we have life. In other words, that in them, that if we're just good enough, that God will be so impressed with me, that he'll owe me. He'll owe me life at the pearly gates. But the problem with that is that if that's how you're saved, if that's how your burden is lifted, when you're in heaven, the glory is taken off of Christ and put on you. You are saved by grace through faith alone. The superabounding grace of God. 
So they looked to Scripture. They looked to the Father. They looked to Jesus' work. And they looked to John the Baptist for life. But they only found death because they didn't see the Christ that they pointed to. So John the Baptist, Jesus' miracles, the Father, the Scriptures, they're all fine just as long as there is no Jesus. That He is not the one to give me life. Man's solution often takes all of Christianity except Christ. He worships and serves the creature over the Creator and by the things that can, through self-effort, rid himself of the burden of sin and death. But God's solution is much different. God's solution is the cross of Christ. And when you come in repentance and faith to the cross of Christ, Jesus bears your burdens and he bears them all. It is Christocentric, it is Christ-centered, not man-centered. Only Jesus can lift our burdens and give us life. God's solution, <clears throat> God's solution is to remove our burden, to bring us from death to life. It's the cross of Christ, and Christ alone is our burden lifted. In verse 21, the Son gives life to whom He will. Burden lifted. Whoever hears my word, in verse 24, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Burden lifted. Those who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. Burden lifted. I say these things in verse 34. I say these things that you may be saved. Let me say it like this. I say these things that you might be delivered from your burden. You can choose man's way and compile the burden. Or you can repent and turn to Christ and have Him bear your burden for you. John the Baptist, the work of Christ, God the Father, the Scriptures, they all give testimony. They all point to Christ as the means by which sin and death are removed from our shoulders forever. They all point to Christ as our glorious burden bearer. You know, Jesus bore my burdens. I don't deserve to be standing here. I have a lot of sin in my life, in my past. And you know, I would imagine most of you probably have the same story. I don't deserve life. I deserve death. But the day that I realized that Christ and in Christ alone are all my sins forgiven, that's when life was granted to me. None of us deserve to be sitting in this chapel. I don't deserve to be preaching to you. We are all dirty, wicked sinners washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we will stand on streets of gold because of the glorious work that He worked at the cross. We will have His righteousness and we will stand on nothing as He recreates all of heaven and earth and we will occupy an eternal kingdom as His people forever. And it's not because I'm a good dude. It's because I'm a really bad dude. But Jesus Christ is completely perfect and bore it all. So our response, the response that we should have is that we come to Christ and believe and put faith. We repent. We change our attitude. We turn to Him. That which, we repent of that which we let get in the way of Christ. We repent of those times where we thought we could be our own deliverer and turn to Christ in absolute dependence for the forgiveness of every single one of our sins. And your burdens will be lifted. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Stop carrying your own sorrows. Stop carrying them. He bears your failures. He bears your addictions. He bears your divorce. He bears it all, and He gives you life. You say, oh, I'm, I'm too bad. I'm too bad. I, you don't know my life. He bears it all. There is no sin that He can't forgive. He gives you a new, new life. Second Corinthians chapter 5, If any man be in Christ, behold, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have been made new. God's superabounding grace forgives everything when you turn to Him in repentance. He bears your failures, your addictions, your divorce, and He gives you life. Let me conclude by saying a few more things. You might say, well, you know what? I'm already saved, Pastor. Christ has already borne my sin on the cross. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. You know, I don't doubt that. I have that hope. The burdens that I carry aren't so much related to my wondering if I'm saved or not. 
or what my purpose is, I realize that God, you know, God, you know, I get the whole thing. The burdens I carry are related to maybe my, my past mistakes that I made even as a Christian, that I know I shouldn't have made. And now I'm living in guilt because even as a Christian, I made this mistake and I carry it. So I don't do ministry anymore like I used to. I don't have the spiritual life like I used to because I don't deserve it. Or maybe your burden is a little bit different. Maybe a tragedy has struck in your life. A son, a daughter died, or a family member, whatever. You know, again, fill in the blank. That's my situation. I'm a believer. You know, the same solution for the unbeliever is the same solution for the believer. The burden that you carry, no matter what it is, is resolved in the cross of Christ. He's your purpose. Oftentimes, we lose sight of that. Even as Christians, we start to think that, you know, if I'm really going to matter in life, I have to do X, Y, and Z. And if I don't accomplish it, then I carry this burden. And we forget that the purpose of our lives as Christians is not to, to do all these marvelous things, but to submit and follow Jesus. And whatever He gives us to do, that's what we do. You know, at the end of our lives, there's this parable Jesus tells about the talents, the ten, the five, and the one. Remember this? We get all equal, equal reward if we're faithful to whatever God has given us to do. So I don't look at the dude on the side of me and say, oh man, wow, he's really a, he's a lot better preacher than me. His church is bigger than I am. I'm really, I'm failing God, you know. Whatever God gives you to do, that's what you do. And you recognize that he providentially leads you to that life. That he's, he's got a purpose for your life still. That when you lose things, you know what? It, that, that's not the sum total of your life. God didn't create you so that you could have children or so that you could be married. Those are all blessings, and it should grieve us when we lose those things. But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God in those things. So with or without, we glorify God. And the joy of the Holy Spirit is available to anybody who submits to Christ at the cross for life. Saved or unsaved. <clears throat> Don't carry your burden. Jesus offers to carry your burden for you, but you must turn to Him for life. You must repent of your sin, your false theology, your false gospel, and you turn to Him for life, and He'll give it to you, and He'll carry all of your bur- burdens. He is everything that you need. Everything that you need is in Christ. You need only Him in life. Your burdens will be lifted when He opens your eyes to this and you turn to Him as your everything. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, let us recognize tonight, Lord, that You are everything that we need. Lord, our hearts grieve so often during times of loss, during times of tragedy, and we bear these awful burdens. God, let the church come alongside to encourage people that there is hope in Christ. No matter how dire the situation, no matter how awful the circumstance, there is still hope for life if we turn to Christ. God, I pray right now, Lord, that Your Word would testify to the fact that in Christ is life. That as we see John the Baptist, God the Father, all of creation and Scripture pointing to the fact that in Christ is life. God, You are our everything, our only thing, and You are all we need. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning we recognize that without You we have no life. We have no hope. God, I I know that in my life when I was just a young man, I remember the day that finally I came to Christ for life. He actually came to me. He's the one that opened my eyes. You might be sitting here this morning and you're carrying a burden. You're an unbeliever. You've never turned to Christ in faith and in repentance for your own sin. And you've been carrying your sin for a long time. You've been carrying the burden of death and sin and hopelessness. I want to tell you tonight, there is opposition. There is a force blinding you to to keep you from believing in Jesus. Today, if you believe in Christ, He will carry your burden and give you life. If your heart turns 
from your sin, from your own way of getting rid of your burden. And it turns to Christ as the only way to be rid of it. He will give you life. And He will carry them for you. And He will be victorious. And if that's you this morning, please, I want to invite you to lift your hand up high so that I can see you if you are turning to Christ for the first time and say thank you for that hand to my left. And please remember, raising a hand doesn't save you. It does nothing. The turning, the changing of the heart to Christ for salvation is what saves you. Are there any more hands? We have two more to my left. Thank you so much. We have another to my right. God will give you life when you put faith in Christ. For the rest of us believers who may have been carrying the burdens of our mistakes, the burdens of failures, the burdens of someone else's sin, maybe the burdens of tragedy, and you want to come to life again the way that you used to have it, you turn to Christ and He will take it. And if that's you and if you are a believer here and you're doing that in your own heart, I want to acknowledge you too. So if you could lift up your hands, please. And we have them all over the place. God, I pray, Lord, this morning that you would see these hands, that you would supernaturally empower our hearts to genuinely turn to you in repentant faith for the life that we have available to us. God, I thank you so much that in Christ's life, I have a living hope. I have a, a, a home that's awaiting for me in eternity. No matter what has happened or occurred or sin I've committed, that the grace of God is sufficient to pay for it. And God, I will be walking on streets of gold, standing on nothing, worshiping you forever and ever because of the work and the life-giving power of Jesus Christ at the cross. God, I pray tonight, Lord, this morning, that you would give us the capacity, the ability to become radical followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would not give up, that we would persevere, that we would be the kind of church that rocks the face of New England with the gospel of Christ that we would take it into the workplace, that we would live it and breathe it and sleep it and dream it. God, I pray, Lord, tonight, this morning, that you would give us the strength that we need, the hope that we need to endure, no matter what the trial is. God, let us be people of Scripture. Let us be people of your Word. And God, supernaturally empower us to, to see revival occur in our own hearts and in this church and in this community. God, I pray, Lord, for your filling God, I pray, Lord, that your word says it's powerful and active and sharp. I pray, Lord, that we would seek it passionately, that we would hate sin and turn to Christ passionately and follow him radically. God, I thank you, Lord, for this church, for this opportunity to preach your blessed word, which is forever eternal. You exalt it above even your own name. Thank you, Lord, for using this vessel. In Jesus' name we pray in the glorious victory of our Savior Christ. Amen.